Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird. Try to fly my way homeward with the melody and I make the beat. Don't know where it'll take me, take me. Cause when I'm in the dark of night, I sing my way back to the light. Come along with me and your heart will see that a song changes everything. Oh. Today's episode is for anyone who works with children um, and particularly may work with children that have experienced trauma, which in the pandemic, we're kind of all experiencing collective trauma. Um, And me as a parent, I'm very curious about uh, if there's ways I can use the arts to support my child and how we can support our children in general um, when they experience trauma. And we had the most amazing guests today. And I think the thing that came up the most in this episode is meet them where they're at. Uh, I'm your co-host, Constanza Rader. Oh, I'm Richard, your host. <laughs> Richard Wilmore. I think I said that already. And this is Winnie, if you're watching. <laughs> Uh, and if you're not, you should be. Um, <laughs> Our third co-host. Yes. Winnie the, the third cat. She needs her own camera. Uh, here on the Arts for the Health of It podcast. Yes. If this you, was... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you when you were talking kind of about who it's for, um, I think it's also for people who, if you ever were a child. Like, yeah. You know, Lauren talked about that, uh, one of our guests, about kind of working with her kids and then dealing with her own stuff sort of through that. And, and, you know, if you didn't deal with it as a kid and you haven't dealt with it as an adult and then suddenly your kids are, yes, it's still there. It doesn't just go away. Yeah. Yeah. This was such a, I, such a fascinating episode, Lauren and Yachty. um, uh, Yachty is the founder um, of Art Van Gogh here in San Antonio, Texas. And, um, their nonprofit that initially started by providing art therapy services for uh, kids who have gone through the foster care system. And and she's a foster parent herself and has adopted children from foster care. And Lauren has adopted 10, well, she has four biological children and six adoptive children from foster care. Oh my gosh. They're just, these are incredible people. I feel like this podcast is going to be a bunch of people that I want to be when I grow up. I think I'm going to say that probably at least once an episode. Like, (laughs) it's fascinating um, to have also both perspectives. It was nice to have Lauren on, who has seen and been a recipient of what Art Van Gogh does, and then to watch people sort of talk about it from both sides is always fascinating to me because you get to see really you get to watch what the work has done totally not just hear about it and you'll have to listen for the end of the episode yadi shares some practical examples of things that 
you can do as as a parent or an adult working with children or even for yourself. Like yes. she was describing some of these activities. I was like, um, I'm pretty sure I want to do that. On our next recording, I might have a little something. Uh, like a little made. squishy yes. thing. Okay. You'll have to you'll have to listen to the episode to understand what we're talking about. Um but Richard, you want to tell them a little bit about our guest today? Yes. And bonus that the projects she talks about are really cheap. So yes. to do. So I think that's great because you get some people get really scared when they think about art because they have to spend all the money and you don't have to spend money. She talked a lot about things you can get at the 99 cent store yes. that we won't name here because they're not a sponsor. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, Yadi is a board certified art therapist and, and she's the founder of Art Van Gogh Therapeutic Services, Inc., which is a nonprofit organization in San Antonio, which offers expressive forms of therapy to children affected by abuse, neglect, and trauma. She's also a foster and adoptive mom and uses her experience to help families struggling with their children's traumatic experiences. And we're joined by Lauren, who um, is a former foster youth herself. She's turned into a foster and adoptive mom of 10. And she had time to jump on with us for, for a little while. She's also a military spouse and uh, she has fostered in three different states. So what a perspective we got. Lauren Lawson, Yadi Puente. This was an awesome interview. Thanks uh, for jumping on. And here's the interview. Go. Uh, all right. Well, I feel very like, like, you know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon where like everybody's connected and I feel like you're all connected here and then I'm out of the loop. So uh, <laughs> I've, I've talked to Yadi a couple times, uh, but I know that you and Stanzi have kind of a connection and a history together. And I would love to start off with talking about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I met Yadi. Yadi, when did we meet? It probably was maybe four years ago now. Kind of okay. when we were both starting off our organizations um and we met in a group for nonprofit founders and um we obviously had a lot of synergy in our <clears throat> in our missions um and so we have kept in touch and i absolutely love what she does um so yadi can you Briefly tell us a little bit about um, your organization, Art Van Gogh, about yourself and, and what you do in um, in your organization. Art Van Gogh started four years ago, and it's an art therapy center, especially for children who have experienced some sort of trauma, like foster children. And having four children, two of which are my biological, and then two we fostered and adopted from the foster care system. So just realizing that there's not that many expressive art centers for the kids, for them to be able to express themselves and being a board certified art therapist, but we figured why not go this route to help children? So we didn't think it was gonna take off as quickly as it did, but there's a great need for kids to have an outlet and just to be heard. Mm, that's awesome. And can you introduce us to Lauren and your connection with Lauren here? Absolutely. So Lauren was one of our previous clients, well, her children were, and she is a foster and adopted mom, and she is a wonderful advocate for foster children. And she recently has moved, so I greatly miss her, but <laughs> I'm so glad to see her again and to reconnect because she has some, she has just great energy towards her and her passion and love for children as well. So, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> 
We miss you too. One of my kids was saying, oh, well, can I say hi? I said, no, we're, we're on a podcast. Like this isn't a phone call. Uh -huh. <laughs> Yeah, they can jump later. on after we're done recording and say <laughs> hi. That would be fun. We won't record that part. <laughs> okay. Uh, Yadi, you're based in San Antonio, yes? Yeah. Yep. So I have a question, and maybe this is a really weird question or a dumb question, but um, I'm assuming you do a lot of virtual stuff now. Yeah. Yes. That's not the dumb question. So Lauren. <laughs> We're so, getting there. Yes. Prepare yourself. So Lauren moved. Are you are you strictly San Antonio? Because I know people are going to listen to this from all over and be like, I love Yachty. I want to hang out with her. Yeah. So it all based on insurance. So okay. insurance dictates where you could receive therapy. If a therapist has the ability to be across state boundaries and they could do that. But for the most part, we offer services to children in Texas. So they don't necessarily have to be in San Antonio, but in Texas. Yeah. And that's a great thing about doing virtual right now that you could be anywhere and still receive services virtually. Awesome. Yadi, I wonder if you could set up for us <clears throat> a little bit about how trauma affects children. Our whole country is kind of going through collective trauma. And yeah. my husband was mentioning yesterday, you know, we've all been on lockdown for a year, which for adults is, you know, a long time. But for a child can feel like a lifetime to not see their friends and to have things not be normal. Um, so I'd, I'd love for if you could to share a little bit about how trauma affects children and the unique role that the arts and art therapy can play in helping children recover and, and cope from trauma? To begin with, children have limited access to words, so sometimes they don't know how to express themselves. So one way we're going to see is through their behaviors. Are they starting to act differently? Um, are they secluding themselves? Are they not able to express their thoughts and feelings, or are they just exploding all of the time? So trauma could show itself in many different ways, and especially with uh, school-age children, you'll be able to see like ADHD because a lot of times mm -hmm. trauma will mask itself as that. So it's looking out for different little things within your child's behavior. But if you're starting to see that they're just down on themselves or they don't want to do certain things that they used to, that's a time period to reach out to someone and someone who has expertise to just be able to help the children. And especially, like you said, mostly all adults, we could feel it. We're feeling the stress, but Sometimes we don't stop and think, okay, what is the child feeling? Because they are some are very secluded. They're away from their friends. And social hmm. skills are very needed at this time. The parent, um, as he grows, what are things that um, I can do to support him and maybe use the arts to, um, to support him in his development and with any potential trauma around his, his adoption? I think be very open to the, with them that he is adopted and yeah. a bad word, right? It's <laughs> mm -hmm. just right. I would just throw it around like it just daily words and and mm -hmm. start talking about that and then do developmental things that keep track of his developmental milestones. What where is he supposed to be for a six month old, for a nine month old, for a year? Are they meeting those goals? And if they're not meeting those goals, then I would start introducing some age appropriate things. Many times kids who are in the foster care system are not their develop their their chronological age, but their developmental age is not where they're meant mm -hmm. to be. So 
parents expect more out of them, but then the kids are acting like a two-year-old, throwing themselves on the floor, kicking and screaming, and you're just like, what is going on? (laughs) So with those kids, you could do more hands-on experience. Like what would, if he's acting like a two-year-old, you're probably right. He is more like a two-year-old. So I would do activities of a two-year-old. Play-Doh, making um, kinetic sand is another good one. Anything that is very tactile, if they're into that, if they're more into movement, maybe chalk. So there are little things that you could do to keep keep the kid in their developmental age where they're supposed to be and draw with them. There's Hmm. nothing wrong getting down to the kid's level and creating art with them. I think that's really cool that you said um, to just be open about the adoption thing because that's always been something we've said like this whole time is like none of our kids are unaware that they're adopted. Like it was never an ugly word. Foster care was never an ugly word. And I'm former foster youth myself. So I just kind of said, well, mom was a foster kid too. And we've been able to kind of bond that way. And um, and it's not been this like shame, ugly thing, but just this kind of like beautiful thing instead, you know? So Lauren, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your um, experience with art therapy and with Art Van Gogh with your children? Yes. Okay. So I met Yachty. She was actually a speaker for a foster care and adoption support group, which if anybody is hearing this uh, podcast and you don't have a support system, like that is like, you got to find your people because I think sometimes meeting other people that are experiencing this, it's so important to, I mean, cause I know family means well and all that, but like it's so important. And, um, and it was neat knowing that Yachty also had, you know, gone down the same road we had with foster care and adoption, all this stuff. So, um, and I heard her speak and I mean, I just knew with all my heart, I needed to talk to her and my, um, I had um, a sibling set of two at the time and we had already gone through the adoption process a couple times at this point. And, um, and they were, they were rough kids. I mean, they, we were their seventh foster home. Um, we were told that what they had experienced was a little heavy duty. They looked really bad on paper, if that makes sense. And, um, and um, we were just kind of warned, look, this is kind of the last point for them. Like if this doesn't work out, we need to split them up. They had talked about, you know, the word institutionalize had gone, been put out there for at least one of them. And, um, and so it was, it was, uh, it was like, we were in a desperate place when, when I asked her, um, if she would take them in as clients. And once again, they were both seeing therapists and they were both seeing really good therapists, but I just like something in my heart knew they needed this specific therapy from the specific person. (laughs) And I'm so glad we did because, Um, I mean, I can go on and on. I don't know if like, I don't want to like put the cart before the horse or anything like that. But I mean, that's kind of like the baseline That's where we met her. And then they started, they saw her for a long time and, um, they would each kind of take their turn and then Yachty would therapy me a little bit because then I'm kind of left to mom them for the rest of the week until I see her again. Um, and that was always really important to me is like, now what, like when I walk away from this, what am I supposed to do here? You know what I mean? And not only what am I supposed to do here, but like, like, how can I help them? Because they're now, you know, feelings have been stirred up and, and, you know, where do we go from here? And I felt like um, she was always really good on letting us in on what was going on and even letting us be part of the therapy, which I think is super helpful as well. I also think that it's, you have to include the parents because the therapy is not going to occur in the session. The therapy occurs within the loving home. And I think that's what makes it work. 
is when the parents are willing to parent differently, to understand where their child's coming from, and to be able to do different parenting styles that we're asking of them. Because some of it sounds crazy, like feeding your child goldfish when your child is eight or 10 years old and just spoon feeding them because mm -hmm. that's developmentally. Some parents are gonna be like, no, they're not a baby, I'm not gonna baby them. But that's mm -hmm. not what's happening. You're meeting them where they are developmentally. And I think that's mm -hmm. what Lauren and her family were so great at is that they took all these crazy ideas and they ran with it and they were able to see success with it. There was wow. a there was an appointment we had that I'll never forget um, with I'm going to start crying with Yadi. And um, like she said earlier, developmentally, they're not the age they are. They're kind of a lot of times stuck where the trauma really hit them the most or, or where the biggest piece of it was. And one of my boys was very stuck in kind of infancy. And there was an appointment we had with her where she, she had me hold him like a baby. And like, we were looking in each other's eyes. And this, this is like awkward for me, you know, like, cause I mean, I come from trauma too, and I'm not like a physical affection person. <laughs> um, so way out of my comfort zone. But I mean, it was such a bonding moment for us to like hold him like an infant. And he accepted that moment. Like he needed to be an infant in that moment. Like he needed that. And that was so special. Wow. That's mm -hmm. really powerful. How has that, so how has that been, Lauren, walking, helping your children walk there through through their trauma? I assume, and you've already mentioned that it kind of intersects with elements of your trauma. And how has that, how has that experience for, for, been for you personally? And then how has that been being able to help them find resolution or at least um, um, some some form of healing? I think it's been neat that a lot of our stuff parallels and even when the trauma is not the same, some of the same um, impacts of like shame or guilt or just heartbreak or any of the grieving, like these are things I've, that I've either experienced or even as, a, as an adult um, that I'm still working through myself. Um, so I've, I mean, I've met other would-be foster parents that say I could never do that because I was a foster kid or I came from trauma. I think it'd be too much of a trigger for me. And, and I get that. I think, you know, I mean, you've got to, you know, do what's right for you and your family, but I would say it's been more of a help. I, I do feel like, um, I do feel like there's enough parallels where I can sit and go, wow, you were so brave going through that. I remember going through something similar and, and I've always kind of, loved uh the approach of just kind of laying it all out on the table and yadi i thank goodness is the same way just kind of like let's let's talk about it like let's talk about this very hard thing and um and and talk about the feelings and talk about the grieving uh the grieving but uh, i feel like it's been a positive thing um that i can relate with them on that level and um and it helps too because um i have one kid that kind of perpetually gets stuck in this kind of like victim mode like he's still feels like yesterday was his day of removal and probably Yachty even knows what I'm talking about. Um, he still thinks he's four years old and just was removed. And so he's really struggled to kind of move past that point, but reminding him that like, he's, you know, like he's not a victim. Like I've been there too. He's been there. Like we've both been removed and like, we got this, we can do this together and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, and experiencing some of that with them. So he, he gets that he's like, not the only one who's been through it. Like he's got brothers and sisters and mom and that kind of thing. So it's been neat. What shifts have you seen in your children because of the art therapy? And are there elements that you continue to incorporate in your in your family because of that? I that's awesome that you asked. Okay, so 
I had a hard time, like when I was thinking about this podcast, I was going like so much of what I want to say, I wonder if it's Yachty specific or if it's art therapy specific, but um, I will say, I'm going to talk Yachty up a bit here, so I don't know <laughs> if the calls will start coming in, but I'm telling you, um, so whether it be from the art therapy or that it was Yachty, I don't know, but I will say their particular case, uh, their um, guardian ad litem said to me one time, she said, this is the single hardest case I've ever worked in my entire career. And she'd been doing it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And she um, was actually one of the guardian ad litems for one of my previously adopted kids. And I mean, I would watch her in court go in for case after case. So this was somebody seeing a lot of kids. And, and it was just, there was so, there was a lot of complication going on with all of it. And, and, and in the end, it all worked out. They are adopted. But I will say that a lot of it was because the boys were so ashamed of the things that had happened or they had been so kind of manipulated in ways. There was a lot like locked in like they, they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to put any feelings up. They didn't even want to face it like facing it was just too scary. Everything was very locked for them. Um, so they did go to therapy and once again, had great therapists, but they stayed fairly locked. They didn't want to kind of like let any little piece of that out, um, at any point. And, um, and then when they started saying Yachty, it was like, it was like all of a sudden, like the doors just open. And sometimes that looked awesome and like, yay progress. And sometimes it looked like them leaving the office, um, storming out and going, I'm never going back there just because they knew that it was like, oh, it's time to get real. And, yeah. um, and sometimes I mean, I, and I tell you, I would, I would any day would have rather them. I loved that. I was like, I need this to get real because I always tell them those like little monsters, like when you're like little, they get bigger and bigger. And then you turn into like a 40 year old, like me with these big monsters, if you don't deal with them. And so, um, and so it was very important that that they kind of came unlocked. And I think, um, you know, them sitting there and getting to do um, art and getting to be kind of like almost like vulnerable on the slick, you know what I mean? Because like they got to express themselves, but in this like really non scary way, um, kind of, kind of helped kind of like open that up just a bit for them, you know? So, um, they felt like, Oh, this is a safe place. I can do this. Um, and I can start expressing things. And there was stuff, uh, I know that there was stuff that was said in her office that I kept thinking, this is why I brought up the guardian ad litem, um, that, um, if, if they, if some of the stuff that had been said in there had been said while the case was still open, it would have been closed way before it was. I mean, like mm. all the outcries, all the things that needed to come out came out mm. there. And I think that was so important for them to finally really look at what had happened to them for what it really was. Yadi, can you talk like, okay, first off, I just want to acknowledge like how hard that must have been as, as a mom and to, you know, someone who cares those boys to hear that but how courageous of you to lean into that and know that this is this is what's good for them that you weren't trying to just help them continue to stuff it back down that like no we need to we need to face these monsters together yeah that's just beautiful and Yadi, i wonder if you could talk um a little bit about some specifics about why art therapy is so good for for children in those types of situations what is it about art and art therapy that helps to unlock those pieces like Lauren was was saying I think I have a specific example and it just it just came to my mind right now and I was thinking about it and I was like oh the, that was a very challenging moment but it was a very rewarded moment so mm -hmm. one of them had eating issues and because it was a lot due to their trauma and so 
new food, introducing new foods was just not happening. It was, it was a very routine thing of what he liked to eat. So one of the things that we started doing was drawing different kinds of foods and just drawing them. What would it be like to draw them? And what are the feelings that it evokes? Just drawing these different foods. And this went on session after session. And then we started doing the play food and we would have a play picnic. And then it led up to the point where I would bring in the different items he requested. And we actually had a picnic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wow. And it was I remember that. <laughs> We had green olives and we were stuffing raisins and peanuts into it. <laughs> and we were, it was like, okay, you're going to eat this if you try to eat crackers and cheese. Or I can't remember the details, but I remember having to eat this green olive with raisins. Because <laughs> you have to do it with him, right? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't have to, but yeah, I'm not going to put him through it. So That goes down as the best and worst moment of Yadi's career. <laughs> Olives. But I think it was just wonderful having those bonding moments of him being able to try new foods in a safe manner that isn't isn't gonna be hurting or threatening. But it was there that healing starts to occur. Or he could walk out and say, you know what, green olives are not that bad. Or I could eat raisins or peanuts. And just mm -hmm. having those fun moments of him laughing at the faces that I was making. But it all, it starts off as a base and just building on that. And that's what art does. It's non-judgmental. It's a safe way to express. And it's not me putting it back on him and saying, well, I think this is what your drawing's about because that's not what it's about. Mm -hmm. Being able to contain it and being a container for him and being able to say, I will hold this for you when you're ready to take a look at it again when your psyche is ready to accept it. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've heard you talk about that before, Yadi, that that oftentimes talk therapy does not work for children. And Lauren, you mentioned this, like some of your, your boys weren't necessarily ready to address the issue face on and like looking at a person across, you know, sitting in the other couch across, directly across from you and having to talk directly to them that that maybe is, is too, too threatening feeling for children, mm -hmm. but that the art, like you said, Yadi, provides a container and you don't necessarily jump right into analyzing or trying to explain to them what it is they're drawing because essentially they're kind of revealing some of their subconscious thoughts in the art. Correct? Is that is that right? Yeah. So then how so then your process is trying to gauge um, if I if I'm understanding right, provide the container and then as as they kind of let you know in a way that they're ready to talk or talk more directly about those things that they've already created art about. And sometimes it, the art might be filling in the gaps developmentally where they were at, like creating a cloud dough. You know, if they, if they didn't get that playfulness that they needed when mm -hmm. they were an infant, and now they're older because they were responsible for raising up all their younger siblings, but they were still like four years old, then going mm -hmm. back and meeting them developmentally where they were at. So mm -hmm. we create a ton of slime and it's great for sensory, but we create a ton of slime and a ton of dough. Nice. And it's, and it's cheap. It's something that parents could do with their kids. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to get your slime recipe. <laughs> 
I, I, I want it just for That's me. That's what we should have done today at the end of the show. It's made slime. <laughs> yes, we'll put that recipe on our website. Yanni, Yanni, where does all of this knowledge come from? Can you talk a little bit about your history and how Art Van Gogh kind of came to be and why you thought it was like, why it was time? I have to give a little shout out to Naropa University. That's where I went to school in Boulder, Colorado. And it incorporates the mind, body, and spirit. So I think that's very important to be able to go across all realms of a person and not just focus on the behavior. Hmm. So it was a good base, but at the same time, it's taking a lot of workshops and being engaged and learning and taking it a step further just to know what is it that, how does the mind work? What is the nervous system all about? Because the nervous system is what hijacks the kid's body. And then you, from the behaviors, you have, you end up with all these unwanted results and then you're left with having to calm the child down. So it's a lot of um, educating on my behalf as well. But I think it's also because I saw that my foster children, they didn't have that many resources. And that's what set me off on this journey mm -hmm. to be able to see how can I best help my kids and mm -hmm. every kid who's out there who has experienced hardship. So we started off focusing for foster children, but now we have a wide range of children. Um, parents always ask, do my kids have to be in foster care in order for them to go to Art Benko? And the answer is no, obviously. But we want to be able to help kids in their language. It might not be art, but it might be through body movement. It might be through play and just being knowledgeable in all those areas. And Lauren, what would you say to someone who maybe is considering um, fostering or adopting um, or and then also maybe to people that are fostering, are fostering or adopting and why they might want to explore this resource of art therapy, what if they're, you know, talk to Yachty if they're in Texas or find someone in their, their local area? Um, I think Yachty said something really important, which is that um, their resources just aren't there. And like, that's unfortunate. I mean, like that, San Antonio is huge and, and, and there are a lot of therapists in San Antonio. And, um, but, but to find somebody that is trauma informed and really does understand um, how to like, we're not going to talk about the behaviors. We're going to talk about like the brain and like the development there and, and where you are, um, like even the chem, you know, the chemicals going on in their bodies and that kind of thing. Not a lot of people are, are equipped for that. Um, and even the area I'm in right now has a huge military population, but in a little tiny town and we just don't have the resources here. They're just, they don't exist. Um, so, so, you know, I think, the help is there. Um, it's just, it's hard for people to find. And, um, and if you are looking into foster care for the first time and, and you heard any bit of some of my boy's story and it's kind of like freaked you out, um, <laughs> I would say the, the good news is there really are resources out there. They're, they're sometimes hard to find. Like you're going to have to do some legwork. And I think it's okay to try a therapist and say, maybe this isn't working and try someone else and not feel so locked in um, if, if you can. Um, and I would say if you're already a foster parent, like I just can't even imagine having a foster kid and not doing therapy. And, and I can't tell you how many foster parents I meet. Um, this is the third state we have fostered in. And I can't tell you 
how many foster parents I meet that that are like, oh, you take your kids to therapy like it's a weird thing. Um, and oh I'm just like, well, you don't take your kids to therapy. <laughs> yeah, like they're obviously there's my bio kids. Some of them have gone to therapy. I mean, like <laughs> there's there's enough for people to talk about <laughs> in therapy and um, and work through. Um, so I think it's just so important. And, and it's not like, you know, these kids aren't doomed to you know, just be out of control or whatever, you know, misconceptions people may have, especially for older kids or like my boys, they were a bit older and, and once again, looked horrible on paper, but the resources are there. You just have to find them. And um, I, I think of a story with my oldest of the two boys. Um, I remember leaving my work one time and um, he had just kind of started like, um, we were transitioning him from his old foster home to us. So we didn't have him full time yet. And it was before Christmas time and he threw such a fit in, in the little daycare they had there that they almost kicked him out. When I picked him up, they were like upset, like almost like don't even bring him back. And then I walk into the car, he was yelling, he was kicking, I hate you, I hate you. You know, I put him in the car, he had this breakdown and it was like actually turned out to be this really beautiful moment. But I look back on that kid versus the kid that like when we left San Antonio, had done art therapy and had gotten really intense treatment um, and like really had peeled back all those layers. And I mean, this is a different, if you met him, you would never in a million years guess, even that he was adopted or had gone through any kind of trauma, you just never guess. I mean, I think it makes such a world of difference um, to look for therapy and look for good therapy and age appropriate therapy, which for a lot of kids is gonna be play or art therapy. That's so beautiful. I'm so happy for for you and and for your son and for the work that Yadi was able to do and um and now you sharing with others because I think there there has been a lot of advances made in in therapy in the last couple of decades that I think people only associate therapy with maybe a past experience they had with talk therapy. And there's so much more that we know about the brain and how trauma affects the brain and and ways to rewire it that are maybe a little bit different than just conventional talk therapy and um, especially with children, how, how important um, some of those alternatives are. Um, and Yadi, so I would love, so if we have listeners that are maybe concerned that maybe they recognize some of those behavior channel challenges that you were talking about that could be signs that their children is experiencing trauma or has experienced trauma um, or even just for kind of general mental health and well-being are there are there activities or things that parents can do our listeners can do with their children at home that are art therapy informed that could be supportive for for their kids i think if you could start meet them where they're at if the kids want to take out chalk and go outside and just sit on the sidewalk and just color then do that there's simple things that you could do with your children it doesn't mean that you have to pull out a canvas and start painting. Uh, that's not it. If you could play, if you could get Play-Doh at the dollar store, the Dollar Tree is full of a lot of cheap things that you could do. They even sell clay. So oh, wow. I, I would even go there and just buy some stuff. This is not an ad. <laughs> but it could they be want Dollar a sponsor, Tree. They could be. Dollar Tree. <laughs> Cornstarch, uh, coconut, Hair conditioner, just those two ingredients. Mix those and you have cloud dough. Oh. Add a couple of. Hold on, say that again. I need cornstarch. A box of cornstarch, which is 89 cents. And let's say uh, coconut 
hair conditioner that's also the cheapest you can find is 99 cents. Okay. So for $2, you have this easy recipe that is going to create a sort of Play-Doh, but it's called a cloud dough. Add some food coloring into it, divide it into several balls, add different uh, colors of food coloring, and it's the easiest thing you could you could make with your kids. And it doesn't stick to their hair. It doesn't stick to their clothes. No, I like that. <laughs> it leaves your hands really soft. So it also the sensory. It's also touch. It's also smell. So there's it hits it hits different sensory issues, which is the thing that you mm-hmm. want to work on. And it's very calming. We normally think, oh, art is for kids, but it's not. Mm. Join your kid. Get muddy. Get dirty. Plant. Um, use petals off of a, a flower and create dye with that and then maybe paint with that. Uh, doodling. Doodling is another easy thing to do with your kids just when you're talking on the phone or when you're having a conversation with them. Just doodle. Magazines, uh, you could cut out things and this is something that we do with our our kids every, every New Year since we've got little ones so we're not going to go out and party. But we just cut out magazine cutouts of what is it that I want for the year ahead of me. Mm, that's beautiful. So we put it into a visual element, but something that I am very proud of my COVID quarantine time is that kids have taught me how to do ninja stars out of origami paper. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> and these are my clients teaching me. So it's also a two-way street of me showing them how to do things, but it it's, this is a reflection. I have to have patience in order to do an origami ninja star. And it took me, I'm not going to lie, like two months how to learn how to do one. Wow. <laughs> Somebody so tells does, me it's also because you're a perfectionist. And it, you know, <laughs> I want to get it right. Yes. <laughs> so does that, <laughs> you mentioned a lot of sensory focused things. Is, is that related to the nervous system like you were talking about is, previously? Is there a connection there? Like what is it about the sensory um, experience that is so beneficial? So with kids with trauma, they tend to go on overload quite easily. So one way to deactivate the nervous system is it might be like brushing, getting a hairbrush and just brushing their skin. It might be with the Play-Doh or the clay, anything tactile. Um, Sand is another great one. Just the feel of things. Maybe the smell of Mm -hmm. lavender in the room. So it's everything to calm the senses down. Some kids like really tight hugs. Mm -hmm. So it might be wrapping them up in a, in a blanket and squeezing them or Mm -hmm. like an extra large teddy bear and sandwiching the kid in between the teddy bears and just putting weight on them. So things like that tend to release energy from the nervous system and to calm the child down. Mm. Silly putty. While we're talking about difficult things, we work with our hands and it's tactile and it's also releasing that energy while we talk. Mm. I feel like these are all things that I need. No, I was just going to say, I feel like these are things that I need. (laughs) I know. I was like, we need to start having that here for this. Yes. (laughs) While we're talking, there are two things that popped in my mind from her talking about sensory stuff, which is that we actually, two things that still happen. She would send my boys with like these little, things of like smell good, like maybe they'd have an oil on it or something. Or one of my boys has this stuffed monkey that is life to him. And he still has that monkey. If you're wondering, um, here years later, 
Um, but, but putting a scent on that when he's having a real hard time, cause that's his calming thing that he always goes to. Um, and, and that's something that's always stuck with him is that smell. And then also she, um, uses this kind of gong thing. I actually have it. It's across the room. It got moved when Rich was trying to, the little, she has it right <laughs> for breathing. Ah. Yes. <laughs> and so my boys, when they hear the gong, they know, oh, everybody goes, <gasps> Ah, belly breathing. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Can you show that? Can you show us that? Can you sure. demonstrate that, Yadi? And we just breathe in and out when it gongs. Is that the idea? Just listening to the sound and the gong sounds has actually proven to cure many different ailments in the body. And it's just the vibration of the sound that travels through the body. But it's a visual reminder and it's a sound that when we hear it, we breathe in and then we breathe out. And oh. now we have it since we're doing virtual, I have a little spin wheel of a flower that we just breathe in and breathe Ooh. out. Ooh. So we <laughs> 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 I like, oh. I want one. <laughs> Those are beautiful. Where, so where can they, if, if people want to learn more, where can they go to to follow you, Yachty, and learn more about what you do at Art Van Gogh, and then um, Lauren, you as well, if, if people want to learn more about you um, or connect with you, how can they do that? Yachty well, first. Art Van Gogh <laughs> is A-R-T-V, as in Victor, A-N-G-O dot org, and you'll be able to get in touch with us that way. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So I just started a YouTube channel and it's kind of from the perspective of being a foster mom who is, or being a foster kid who's become a foster mom. Um, and the fact that I have 10 kids, but also military, I've been surprised at how many military families have had questions specific to that. Like when you move around a bazillion times, what's that like being an adoptive and foster parent? But um, I am on YouTube. It just, it says Lauren Foster's like, instead of my last name, it's like Foster's with an S at the end. Um, and you can find me there. Lauren, I have a final question for you. You touched yeah. on that some of your um, bio kids uh, were doing art therapy. Is this sort of like standard of care now when we enter your household? <laughs> or is it like, have you now, is it now like, all right, get your bag. We already have an appointment. Let's go. <laughs> like, is it, is, do you make sure all of like the kids have access to it? Or is it sort of like, are you looking for certain things that maybe you're like, oh, they need to go, to go hang out with Yachty? Yeah. Or how does that, how do you navigate yeah. that with each kid? I feel like with my foster and adoptive kids, it's just a given. I mean, a lot of times we're kind of, as foster parents, if our kids are over a certain age, we're kind of like shoved into it anyway. Because with foster kids, a lot of times the judge will court order therapy. Um, and then it's up to the parent to decide post-adoption if they're going to continue that on. Um, but I've always kind of continued it anyway. And then with my um, biological kids, it has been a lot of watching and waiting. My oldest has been such a good teacher to me um, of, of what that might look like because she has struggled. I think, um, you know, adoptive parents and foster parents um, and adoptive kids and foster kids have like a real big voice in the foster care community. Caseworkers have a big voice in the foster care community, but the ones that don't really have any voices, biological kids, and that was something that never really hit me. I mean, it's like, they don't have a choice. I just say, hey, this is what's happening. And then there's like, you gotta deal with this now. And um, 
And my oldest struggled with that. I mean, she loves foster care and adoption. She wants to adopt a bazillion children of her own and she does amazing with them. Um, but I mean, it was hard. Uh, some of what she has um, experience with it was really hard um, feeling you know the pressure of wanting to be a helper and wanting to not add to the heaviness of it all I mean some of it was so watching her struggle with some of that is kind of what opened my eyes to maybe like I need to keep an eye on all of them you know because they all are it's not just mom and dad who are going wow this kid is really difficult or this kid just is always screaming or you know it, it everybody here is experiencing that and so mm. uh, making sure that that's available for everybody if needed is so important I think it's getting rid of that stigma too yeah. that uh, that therapy is bad I mean we all need it at some point mm -hmm. you know, yeah talk with our girlfriends or just our friends in general or family you know, that's therapeutic too. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I'm glad it. you said that. Yeah. During this pandemic, Sorry. I think if anything <laughs> that it's taught us is that we need connection. And sometimes mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. a neutral person that's not going to be judgmental or you yeah. just don't want to tell your friends your darkest things about you, it's okay to express it to somebody. That's, that's our role. You are kind of both who I want to be when I grow up. So I <laughs> want to thank you so much for, for hanging out with us and talking with us today. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. We'll throw all of the Brad. notes and the recipes for cloud. What is it? Cloud, cloud dough? Cloud, cloud dough. <laughs> Uh, on the website, go to heartsneedart.org and click on the podcast link. Subscribe to us wherever you're watching or listening. Make sure you subscribe to Lauren's or, uh, YouTube channel as well. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And keep creating, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers, in partnership with the National Organization for Arts and Health. You can help others learn about the healing power of the arts by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen or watch. The podcast is hosted by Richard Wilmore, co-hosted by Constanza Rader, and produced by Ivan Briones. Our theme song, Songbird, is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartsneedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create arts for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Heartsneed Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.